Isn't Jesus wonderful? Lord, we just, we just want to bless you today. We want to say how delighted we are that we belong to you. So thankful for the truth of your word. It's a lamp into our feet, a light into our path. Thank you for the directions you give. We're thankful for the precious indwelling Holy Spirit that gives us guidance and direction. We're just so thankful today, Jesus, that we can know of a truth that you love us. And we certainly want to say that we love you. So, Lord, now as we open the word, just speak to our hearts. Holy Spirit, you are always so good at taking whatever comes out of my mouth, and before it gets to their ears, you, you do something incredible with it. And I just ask today that you will speak to our hearts as we open ourselves to hear what you have to say today. In Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. when I was a music, the music pastor here for a couple of years, I, um, I developed over the years that I served, over 30-some years, lots of philosophies about you know, running a music department, and I even taught seminars on all of that around the country. And, um, but I, I, I watched people. I watched the people of this fellowship, the people of this music department, and observed their life and how people functioned in ministry, and certainly I observed all levels of commitment some people who really understood it and took it to the max, and they were absolutely, you could, you could just count on their unflinching faithfulness to music ministry, and then there was some of the other kind too. Um, and I learned very quickly, though, that you don't, you don't build a ministry, be it a music ministry or any other kind, on people who aren't there. You, you, you can't do that. You, people, you need people to show up. You don't build a ministry on people who don't show up. And so somewhere along the way, I know I picked this up. I'm sure you've heard it. I picked it up somewhere, a phrase that helped me to define the actions of people as it related to their level of commitment. And it, it just made sense to me when I heard it and began to understand. And that was this. People vote with their feet. How many of you heard that phrase before? They vote with their feet. And what that very simply says is, regardless how much they say they love the choir, or how much they say they love music ministry, or how much they say they love the church, it is, it is their intentions are always made very clear by where their feet take them, where their feet take them and where they go. In other words, they vote or they say, what I'm really choosing to do here is being told very well by my feet. You voted to come to church today, and that was a very good thing. With that in mind, keep that in mind this morning, I want you to take your Bibles and turn with me to the book of 1 Samuel. For some reason, I've had a real attraction to that book over the last few weeks. I read it again while Becky and I were um, on our time away, and um, there, the Lord seems to really be speaking to my heart a lot through that book. 1 Samuel, and I want us to direct our thoughts toward chapter 27 today. 1 Samuel chapter 27, I'll read some in just a minute. <clears throat> To go from great victories to great battle, or to go from a great day to a day of defeat is not as wide a chasm as some might think. In fact, when we walk with Jesus, the reality is that that change can be quick and if not immediate and sudden. How many of you know your day can turn on a dime? Anybody ever have that happen? I was talking with my sister the uh, day before yesterday. She and, and her husband have been in the real estate business in the St. Louis area for oh, a long, long time, all of my life. And then the business was his father's before that. So they've been in uh, real estate business there a long time. I was talking with her 
about how are things going, sis, and, you know, just catching up a little bit on life. And she said, uh, and she's a generally a very upbeat person. She said, you know, Dan, I started the day great, and then I had to deal with this issue. It was a, it was a, a family issue with someone, and then she was at the same time that was going on. Um, another issue just literally cropped up while that was happening, and these two were happening. That was enough to kind of overwhelm me. In the middle of sitting down dealing with those, I get a text that our, our very best office employee that we were really had been had a lot invested in, we're counting on, been with us a long time, very, very valuable employee, that she was turning in her two-week uh, notice. And she said, you know, any one of those things in of themselves were not, you know, life-threatening or awful, but she said, all of it together, my day just turned around. How many know you can wake up one morning and be praising God? Lord, this is the day that you've made. I'm going to rejoice in you. Hallelujah. Singing your favorite worship song. And wham, it can happen like that. Who's ever had that happen in this room? Four of you. Okay. Let me see if I can find something else here. No. But that's the reality of it. That your, things can turn on you just like that. I know what it is to stand here at this pulpit and, and, and minister to you and to deliver a message, pouring out my heart and my soul. And, and literally, by the time I step down these steps and get to that pew and, and uh, start greeting people, it's just like I can feel sucker punched by the enemy. It, it just happens. I, when I began preaching here, I, I, I asked Des, I said, Des, is this always going to happen? He said, yeah, pretty much. That's the way it's going to feel. I said, thank you for the encouragement, my brother. I appreciate that. But the enemy will come after you just like that. And there's something about the timing of it, particularly right after a victory. And, I, you know, and, and it, can, it can just sometimes take hours, if not days or a, a week or two, to even shake off what he puts on you right after a victory. I don't know if anybody else ever gets crazy thoughts, but I do. Does anybody ever get crazy thoughts? Come on, work with me here today, people. Crazy, just, just crazy thoughts, particularly, you know, in, in the dark of night, crazy thoughts can, can come to you, and, and how bad something's going to get, you know. And, and, you know I, you can deliver, I can deliver a message on trusting God, and the very next thing I'll face is fear over something. It's just the way, it makes no sense. You know, or, or you can you can talk to folks about the power that's in the name of Jesus and, and conquering and overcoming. And within minutes, if not less, you can feel helpless and powerless and inept. And it makes no sense. It's, it seems as if right after a great victory, wham, you can sink into the depths of despair. I don't know about you, but I, I know it can happen to me. Well, I felt in good company when I turned to 1 Samuel chapter 27. And honestly, I discovered someone who is just as volatile as I am, and uh, he's a, though he's a man for God's own heart, how many of you know that even if you're the man for God's own heart, you can have your dumb days? How many know that? I wish you would get more honest with me here today. You're just sitting there making me feel bad. Bless my heart. 1 Samuel 26 was the good day if I'm backing up just a tad from the text I gave you. That was the good day. This is a day that God is working miracles. This is a day that's all going well. This is the day of victory. And God was taking someone like David and making it very clear by what he did for you, saying, look, I've got you. You're safe. The smile of my face is on you. It's all working for you. And we see 1 Samuel 26, Saul's army of 3,000 men that are coming to kill David. 
Saul is in a hot pursuit of David. He's jealous, and you, you know the story. And so Saul's coming to kill David. He's got his 3,000 men. And what takes place is something that's incredibly interesting. While Saul and his men have camped out, and they are in what appears to be concentric circles surrounding Saul, he's in the middle, all protected by 3,000 men who are encamped around him. God begins to put 3,000 men to sleep so that David and his armor bearer named Abishai can walk right down into Saul's camp, walk right past 3,000 of his uh, army that are there with him, who God, whom God has put to sleep. He walks right past them. Two guys walks right past them and goes right up to Saul, picks up his spear, picks up a water jug, and can come walk right out. Now, I don't know about you, I call that a miracle. And he comes out, and the Bible says that from a distance, which I think is real smart, from a distance, he holds up the spear, and he holds up the water jug, and he says, Saul, we could have killed you. We could have done it. But the Bible says to touch not God's anointed. And I recognize, David is saying, I recognize that you are the anointed of God. We could have killed you, but we fear the Lord enough that we did not kill you even though we could have. Now let me pause there, give you a little something that hit me yesterday. And it's this. Oh, the weapons that are available to us. Oh, the weapons. The truth is, I'm sure it's never happened to you that you've never been in conflict with a family member or a boss or an employee or anyone like that. You know what? There are weapons sitting all around you. And it is so easy. When you are ready to fight, you will grab for a weapon and you're going you're gonna to grab for the one that you think is going to hurt the most. Am I telling the truth? It happens. It's happened in family situations. I'm going to grab the weapon that talks about what you did to me 15 years ago. I'm going to grab the weapon that will really let you know that you have hurt me because I want you to hurt as bad as you've hurt me. Oh, the weapons that are available to us. But David said, I could have killed you. I came and walked right up, and God put everybody to sleep around you. I walked right up and took exactly what I needed. The weapon was mine. It was in my hand, and I took the water jug, and I could have killed you. But because I fear the Lord, because I didn't want to violate God, I didn't use it. I didn't kill you. And you just let that sink in whatever way it's going to. But I just know what it's like to be in situations and be in conflict. I know what it's like to be in a tense situation with someone. And won't we are so, it is so human of us. It's so Dan to do this. It's so you to do this. All of us. We grab the weapon that we think will hurt the most. And your nervous silence is telling me you're listening to me today. We'll grab the weapon that will hurt the most and we will use it. But we need to, when we get to those moments, though emotions are running out of control, God Give us the ability to say, but I will not touch God's anointed, and I will not, it's, the, it's his love that constrains me. It's my fear of the Lord that's going to keep me from doing what I could do with this weapon if I wanted to. And the people said, I know you love that. And David saw the supernatural touch upon 3,000 soldiers. He walked through bodyguards to the center of the camp, which was the way that they 
were encamped around him, as we said. He got right up to them, and he could have taken them out. David went through every sentry. He went through every watchman. He went through every bodyguard straight to the middle because it was a supernatural miracle. And at the very end, as David is holding up the spear, I want you to see what then Saul says to him. David said, I could have killed you. I've got your spear. got your water jug. Look, I got to you. Nobody guarded you. Nobody protected you. I got it. And then now we get to the end of chapter 26, and Saul says, Saul said to David, 1 Samuel 26, 25, Blessed are you, my son. You will both accomplish much and surely prevail. So David went on his way, and Saul returned to his place. Now, this is amazing to me. Put yourself for a moment in David's mind. Just kind of put yourself in his body, in his mind, in his feelings, and his emotions. How should he be feeling at this moment? What should be his response to what has just taken place? I would expect after this a confirmation in my spirit that says, you know what? God really has his hand on my life. Look what I was able to do. Look how I went right past. God put him to sleep and I went right past him. And I got exactly what I wanted. I think I would say God is really doing something inside of me. The favor of the Lord is upon me. He is with me. For God to allow me to walk past those men and take, I have to believe God's hand and his favor and blessing is on my life. In fact, as we move on into chapter 27, as we will in just a second, you would think this would be a great worship service. This would be a great time of rejoicing. I would. I would have responded that way. You would think a psalm should have come out of this from David talking about God's deliverance from your enemies and how God can get you through and he can help you to triumph. But I want you to see, church, with me for just a minute this morning because I think this is going to speak to some of you that just as crazy as me standing here delivering a message on having faith and being hit with fear over something, just as crazy as you hearing a t- or giving a teaching or, or hearing a teaching on the power of the Lord and walking out and feeling inept and powerless, just as crazy as that is what happens here to David. That's exactly what happened. The very next verse, which is the beginning of chapter 27. Let me read it to you. It's 1 Samuel 27, 1. Then David said to himself, say that. David, one more time, come on, everybody. David Now I will perish one day by the hand of Saul. Where'd that come from? You just had a great victory. You just had a moment of deliverance. And now you're saying, I'm going to die. He's going to get me. That's what's going to happen. There is nothing better for me than to escape into the land of the Philistines. Saul then will despair of searching for me anymore in all the territory of Israel, and I will escape from his hand. So David arose and, say it, crossed. Say it again, crossed. What did he do? So David arose and crossed over. He and the 600 men who were with him to Achish, the son of Maok, king of where? King of where? That's interesting. That the first giant that David takes out with a slingshot was who? 
from Bingo. Goliath from Gath. So David goes to the hometown of Goliath now. He just saw the deliverance of God in 1 Samuel 26. And now one verse later, all of a sudden, sucker punch. And he suddenly begins to have these thoughts that sound like this. It's not going to happen for me. It's not going to go my way. Things aren't going to work out well here. How close is this to the miracle that he just experienced? The testimony of what God had just done for him. How, did you, how do you go from seeing God put 3,000 men to sleep so that you can walk right up to the center of the circle of men and take captive the very man who's out to get you? How do you go from that to saying, you know what, I'm going to die anyway? How does it happen? How did David go from dangerous thoughts to dangerous actions? Or let me put it to you this way. Hear me, hear me, hear me. How did it go from his head to his feet. From his head to his feet. David's thought in verse 1 is, is in his head. I'm going to die. Saul's going to catch me. I don't know if I can live by all these miracles. Verse 2 is those thoughts now going from his head to his feet. And the Bible says, David got up, he arose, and he what did he do? That means it went from his head to his feet. The title of this message is The Path of Crazy Thoughts. Now, what he was thinking, he puts into action. What he's thinking now becomes the way he's going to live for a season here. How does that happen? How do you go from thinking crazy thoughts to then acting them out? How do you put your family and 600 men and their families at risk? When you read the rest of the story, in fact, another army comes in and takes David's wife and children. David is willing to put everybody at risk because some crazy thought goes from head to foot and messes up not only his life but everyone else around him over which he has Influence. How do you have a day like in 1 Samuel with great victory and go immediately to crazy thoughts in 1 Samuel 27? Let me give you two thoughts about it. Number one, David keeps silent about the things he should confess. David keeps silent about the things he should confess. The phrase that scares me it catches my attention, and I tried to draw your attention to it a moment ago, is the one where David says this. David said to himself, or some versions say, David kept thinking to himself. One of the most dangerous things to do, dear one, is to become your own counselor. When Becky and I were on this trip. I was in a situation where I heard a couple of men Speaking, I was not part of the conversation, but I could easily overhear it. One clearly was a medical doctor, and I heard this medical doctor, I don't know if the other guy was or if he was in some aspect of the medical profession, and this doctor said, you know, in the medical profession, we have a saying which says this, the doctor who treats himself 
has a fool for a patient. The doctor who treats himself has a fool for a patient. All of a sudden, when David starts to speak to himself, we see what he comes up with, and this is his counseling session. You know what happens? People are afraid to tell others what they are really thinking. And then what happens is this. Sin incubates in darkness. Say it. Sin grows in darkness. That's how things begin to grow and find their root. When no one wants to say anything. When you're not willing to confess what's really going on. When it seems too risky to say what you're really thinking. When you are really afraid to express a thought. If I share this, what will they think about me? Oh my goodness, I'm a pastor. I can't have thoughts like this. I'm a board member, I'm a Sunday school teacher, I'm, I'm a home group leader. There's no way I can let anybody know what's really going on in my head. I can't think about fears, I'm supposed to think about Jesus and, and the throne and the choir. That's what I'm supposed to think about. Well, what happens when you see a miracle in chapter 26 and have a crazy thought in chapter 27? What happens when those crazy thoughts start to just bombard you? But we're afraid to tell others because this pride in us keeps sin growing and growing and growing within us. But here's the truth. The longer we're silent, here's what happens. Those thoughts go from your head to your feet. The longer you're silent about it, what's in your head is going to go to your feet. From doubts of God, doubts of the existence of God, and we start counseling ourselves. Well, maybe the Bible isn't true. You know, maybe they just take it too literally. Maybe this Christianity thing isn't all that they say it is. And you start thinking things of people or pastors or leaders or anything. And all of a sudden, it starts to incubate inside of you. So the question is, who is it that you can share with? Who is it that you can talk to? Who is it that's part of your life that will tell you the truth. You know, we all need some folks in our life that will tell us the truth. We don't want it. We don't like what, when they tell us the truth. You know, I, I heard it this way. In fact, it was this week. Every one of us needs somebody in our life who's willing to slip up behind, to come up behind us and say, honey, your slip is showing. I try to think of an example for guys, but you sisters know what I'm talking about. <laughs> Honey, your slip is showing. And what's the appropriate reaction to that? Well, it's none of your business. No, but your slip is showing. Not only is your slip showing, but you got toilet paper hanging out the backside too. <laughs> How bad do you want me to tell you it is? In other words, I'm seeing something on you that you're obviously not seeing. Or you would have fixed it. You would have done something about it. Other people are seeing it. They may even be talking about it. And they don't want to come tell you because they don't want to embarrass you. But I'm willing to walk right up to you because I love you and I care for you. And I'm willing to tell you, your slip is showing.
So this doesn't have to be a relationship breaker. Just slip off to the side here, fix it, and come back out. And let's get on with it. Can I get an amen? amen? You can hate me if you want to. You can tell me I've got my nose in business I shouldn't have, but I'm telling you, I'm, t- I'm saying that to help you. And every one of us needs somebody who's willing to say, your slip is showing. Who do you have in your life that can speak to you the truth? I want to give you one of the mis- most misquoted verses in all of Scripture. In fact, I, somebody gave me a book on misquoted scriptures. It's, it's pretty fascinating and kind of funny. And I, I thought for a while I would do a, a series of misquoted scriptures. I may do that sometime if the Lord directs so. But one of the most misquoted scriptures of, in all of the Bible goes like this. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. It is a great prayer meeting verse. But do you know that's only half of the verse? It's not even the front half. It's the back half of the verse. It's from James 5, 16b. It's the last half of the verse. And it doesn't even make sense unless you read the whole thing from James 5, 16. It's a fighting verse. Here's the first part. Therefore, confess your sins. Some versions say false. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed because the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Do you see the connection? It's really two people. The first one is the one going through, first one is one that's going through a battle with stuff in their life going on. And what James is telling them to do is find somebody who prays that can pray God's blessing on your life. It's saying, are you dealing with sin? Are you dealing with a fault? Are you being overcome by some besetting sin? Something getting you? If so, then find a righteous man. Find a righteous woman who knows how to get a hold of God. Find someone that can pray for you. It's not just a verse that says, let's have a prayer meeting. But here's the gist of it. James says, don't confess your faults to your favorite number on your iPhone. I think he worded a little bit different than King James. Find someone who can get a hold of God. Someone who can pray this thing off of you. Listen to me. I don't need somebody who knows me. I need somebody who knows the Lord to pray for me. And what I want to know is this. Do you know God? Are you a person who prays? Because if you do, then you're what I need to help me get through this. The issue is, can God come down when you pray? That's the person you want to talk to. And somebody needs to say amen to that. I want to talk to somebody who is a righteous man or a righteous woman who knows how to pray, knows how to get a hold of God. And that's the problem with David. He's talking to himself. At that point, not doing very good. But you should do at this point, David, is get a hold of somebody who can get a hold of God. That's what you do. When those thoughts hit you, find a righteous man, sir, who will pray for you. Ma'am, when you are overcome with those thoughts of depression and whatever it is that is coming upon you, find a righteous woman who will pray for you. You don't have to talk all about the depths of it. I'm sure it's got all kinds of nastiness with it. You don't have to talk about all that. Just say, here's what I'm facing. Would you pray for me? And find someone who knows how to pray and get that off of you in Jesus' name. Come on, say amen to that. 
And then once that happens, get, on, get over yourself to be honest enough to say to them, I don't care what you think. I don't care how you respond to that. This may come as a surprise to you. You may not think this would have ever been in my head, but the reality is this is what I'm going through. God help us to be honest as a church with each other. And hear me. Any honest person would say to you, you are not alone in those thoughts. You may think you were the first person to ever think that, but you're not. You're not alone in those thoughts. All that was number one. Here's number two. I only have 40 points today, okay, so you can relax. Your battles don't have to be defeats. I said your battles don't have to be defeats. Let me explain it to you this way. You can't stop the thoughts coming. Believe me, if I could have, I would have tried. You can't stop them coming. But you can stop them from crossing over. That's the critical point. If I had you repeat that after me a while ago when we were reading that scripture. You can't stop them from coming into your mind. But you can stop them as they are trying to get from here to here. That is in your control. By the power of the Holy Spirit, you can stop that. Thoughts are always going to come to us. I don't care if you are a new believer. I don't care if you are a seasoned Christian. You've been here for 40 or 50 years. Thoughts are always going to come. They're always going to pound us. Anyone who ever told you that the day you become a Christian, you'll never think an evil thought again, I'm sorry to tell you, they lied to you. Because it's just not true. My goodness, the day you come a Christian, become a Christian, some of you have had this experience. Thoughts can get even worse when that happens. How many of you experienced that? But Jesus warns us of this. He says in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, understand something. You've got to make sure that you deal with this because this thing is always going to seek to get from your head to your feet. Jesus said, if anger or hatred is lurking in there, it's going to get to the feet and turn into murder. If thoughts of adultery are going around in your head, he said they're going to find their way to your feet and you're going to act those thoughts out. Any of you know who Josh McDowell is? And he said this, adultery starts in the head before it gets to the bed. It's just the truth. It's saying this, it starts here. And when it doesn't get dealt with here, it will move to here. It's always the enemy going after the mind. It's always the enemy trying to make you think something that you don't have you should have. Or something that you have you shouldn't have. You know what's funny, church, about all this? As hard as I'm going to try here this morning to get you to understand this concept of can't stop this coming in. but We can stop it from getting to here. And I hope you're getting this picture. The funny part is this. We typically don't deal with stuff until it embarrasses us. We will let it incubate. We will let it grow and grow and grow. Regardless of the price we seem to be paying for it. And we don't deal with it until it embarrasses us. We don't deal with stuff until the damage control has gotten crazy. But because David crossed over, because David didn't deal with his thoughts, because David allowed it to go from his head to his foot, 
It's there in chapters 27, 28, and 29. It doesn't change until chapter 30. And you ready for this? He spends a year and a half wasting his life in Gath. Deeper research will tell you it was 16 months. But nearly a year and a half wasting. A year and a half decision of fighting, get this, for the Philistines. David is now fighting for the Philistines in this wasted time that he had. The next four chapters constitute a year and a half of his life. And he takes, as it were, an exit off the freeway, and it's an exit of a year and a half. A year and a half of bitterness. A year and a half of depression right off the freeway onto the exit. A year and a half of living in a lie of lust. A year and a half of living in the bondage of nobody likes me, nobody cares about me. A year and a half he wastes. And the Bible tells us not until 1 Samuel chapter 30, where David goes through this catastrophic moment. This is God trying to wake him up, and it happens like this. One day, King Achish of Gath comes to David, and he says, hey, David, we've got a battle coming up. David goes, okay, I'm in. You know, you can count on me. I'm in. I'm with you. By the way, who's the enemy? Achish goes, Israel. How many know that had to be a serious wake-up call for David? And just in case you don't have all those components plugged in, you understand David's been anointed to be the king over Israel. He's the king in waiting, as it were, at this moment. This was a serious call. He's now gone to the enemy's camp and fighting for them. And King Achish comes and says, now we have a battle coming up. It's with Israel. And David has to make a decision in 1 Samuel chapter 30. Is he going to fight his own people over which he is destined to be the king? That's how crazy things can get. That you end up fighting the very people over whom you are supposed to be the king. The people that you're supposed to lead. Now, you're put in the position, do I, do I fight Israel? This is David, the man after God's own heart. And he's in the position of considering, am I going to go beat up and kill my own people? And it's in that moment that God brings him to his senses and God wakes him up. And a year and a half later, he realized when it went from head to foot, it has now cost him a year and a half of his life. And there are people sitting in this room this morning that when it went from your head to your foot, it cost you a whole lot longer than a year and a half. Put that in your mouth. Sip that. Date him. Exit ramp. And you get those crazy thoughts. Like, you need to go out with him because there aren't many men left and I'm running out of years. And people will make a decision based on the thought instead of the Spirit of God that's dwelling within. Do this because you've never done that before. You've never experienced that before. Do this because you've lived in a Christian home all of your life and they've kept you from this and you need to know what it feels like. Exit ramp. Crazy stuff. Have you ever read anything and say to yourself, that's exactly how I feel? I, this author has expressed it in a way I couldn't have said it, but that's how I feel. 
There's a book called The Letters of C.S. Lewis. It's all of his letters and correspondence and some of his journal entries. Before he ever penned a book, before he ever wrote one book, before anyone ever knew about Narnia or any of that other stuff, he wrote this in his journal. This is C.S. Lewis. Getting into bed, I was attacked by a series of gloomy thoughts about being a professional and literary writing failure. All these thoughts started to hit me, that you will never be anything. Remember, this is before he ever wrote a book. Here's what I think is true. If you get nothing else today, get this. Whatever God backs, Satan attacks. Whatever God backs, Satan attacks. Dear one, sometimes the best confirmation that you're in the right place, at the right time, doing the right thing, is the attack of Satan on your life. You thought... When I'm in God's will, you thought it'll all just go smooth because I'm in God's will. He's just, everything's just perfect. It's lining up perfect. I wish I could tell you my life had been that way, but it's not. The best proof that you might be right in the center of God's will is that all hell is breaking loose in your life. I know you'd like me to find something else to preach to you today. But the best proof that you are right where he's got you, doing right what he wants you to do, is that all hell has been unleashed on you. Somebody get that this morning. Who's that for here today? Whatever God backs, Satan attacks. Because Satan will do everything he can to get you to take off and to get out of Dodge. The more demons he can unleash on your circumstance and situation, the more discord he can sow in your home, the more miserable he can make it at work, he knows that puts pressure on you for you to take off. He can do whatever he wants to do to get you to leave this church. Get out of the choir. Leave the ministry. You know what the national average is of this country? You know how many pastors a month check out of the ministry in this country alone? 1,500 per month. 50 a day quit the ministry. In this country, 1,500 a month. Sometimes you just have to remember that Satan will attack whatever God is backing. And here is God about to put his hand on a man named C.S. Lewis who is about to become what Time Magazine says is one of the most influential writers of the last 100 years. And here he is saying, I'm going to bed saying to myself, I'm going to be a failure. I'm going to be a failure. And then he wrote this. Because it reminds me of what my friend Owen Barfield said, that it was in one of those moments when one is afraid that he really may not be that great of a guy after all. And Lewis said, and that's what I thought. Sometimes you look at a situation, you look what's at ahead of you, you look what's at what's in front of you, and you say, I can't, I, can't, I, can't, I, can't do, I can't do this. God, I can't. I thought I was a godly woman. I thought I was a godly man. And the magnitude overwhelms you. God, can I even last in this marriage? 
God, I'm a single woman. I, I thought I had the strength. I thought I knew how to raise these kids. And all the thoughts start to hit. And you're hearing in your mind, here's what you're hearing in your mind, the message you're getting. Nothing's going to change. Nothing's going to change. It's always going to be this way. You will never be free. End your life. Nobody will notice. Nobody will even care. God doesn't even love you. God's not real. And those thoughts come, and you're not the first one to have them. Attacking the mind is what the enemy does. Attack, attack, attack. And the goal of the enemy, listen to me, is to get that thought from here to here. It's what he's trying to do to you today. Why would he not try to do that to you? He did it to Jesus. This is how it goes for him. Baptized by John the Baptist, a dove descends. A voice from heaven speaks and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And you ready for this? The next chapter. He's in the wilderness of temptation. And this is what Satan says. If you are the son of God. If he was just baptized. He heard the voice of his father from heaven saying, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. And the next voice he hears is Satan saying, if. Can I tell you what I've heard Pastor Des say many, many times? It is time, there are times you will hear the voice of Satan louder than you hear the voice of God. That's the reality of where we are. And we have to begin to identify when the Lord is speaking to you, this is my beloved son. And then here comes that voice that says, if. He had just heard it from God. You're my son. And Satan takes that because whatever God backs, Satan will attack. And he starts attacking that. And the only recourse Jesus had was to go right back to the word of God and says this, I can't trust the mind games. I can't trust the mind games. I have crazy thoughts. I can't trust them when I get in this situation, in this, this state, this condition. I can't trust the mind games, but I can trust the word of God. And that's what we trust in this morning. I so want to believe this could be a moment of freedom for someone in this place today. Before you rush out of here, and I'm going to close in just a minute, but I'm going to open this altar. In fact, this altar was open since the beginning of this message. It doesn't bother me if the Holy Spirit begins to speak to you, even in the course of a message, and you begin to respond. You say, oh, I can't sit here any longer. You can respond to this altar anytime you want when I'm speaking. Some of you are saying this morning, Pastor Dan, it's in the head. The attack is there. It's in the head. I don't care if you're a new believer. I don't care if you've been walking with Jesus for 60 years. You're no different than the rest of us. It's in the head. And the enemy is trying so hard to get it to the feet. But you're saying today I want to surrender to Jesus and say, God, please set my mind on things above, not on things below. Any one of us are gonna be attacked, starting with me. But the thing I believe God gives us is the strength, the strength for is this, we don't have to cross over. You don't have to cross over. Saul's gonna kill you. My goodness, we all have crazy thoughts like that, but you don't have to cross over and waste a year and a half of your life. And on this day, it could be as crazy as suicide. It could be as crazy as God doesn't love you. It could be as crazy as this church doesn't care. It 
could be as crazy as the magnitude of leave this marriage. But this is the day that we're going to declare, God, with your help, we are not going to cross over. We're going to identify that we belong to you. We are your beloved. We are protected. We are guarded in you. You have given us strength. You've given us your Holy Spirit to help give us all that we have need of. We're going to recognize that we are yours to command where you, where you lead us. And when the voice of the enemy comes, give us the sense, the discernment, and the understanding to, be, to begin to identify it and say, it may be in my head. I couldn't stop it from coming in, but I'm going to stop it from going to my feet. If that's anybody in this house, get up from where you are and come down and let me pray with you this morning. I don't care who you are. Pastor Brent, you can come. Anybody in this house? It's in the head. I'm not going to cross over. I'm not going to let it go from head to foot. The Apostle Paul said this in Romans 12. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. And do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. And today we're going to believe for God to renew our minds. The thoughts that come and say, whatever thoughts that you're facing, my son, my daughter will never be saved. We're never going to have peace in our house. The thoughts that come and say things will, will th things that, that are broken, they're never going to be put back together. I'm broken. I'm never going to change. I want to tell you something. Jesus did not change you for you to stay the same. He did not. His commitment is to change you from glory to glory and from grace to grace. And he can work a miracle at this altar if you will surrender to him. And that same thought, that bondage, that thing that keeps coming, one after another, whatever it is, I'm going to be an alcoholic like my dad was. I'm going to get a divorce like my parents did. We're going to come against that right now. We're going to say, Lord, renew our minds, cleanse our minds. Come on, who else needs to respond this morning? Doesn't matter your age, doesn't matter how long you've been walking with Jesus. We're all subject to this. We're going to pray today that God will give us what we need. And the way that we fight this is to do exactly what Jesus did, using those words, it is written. We don't trust our feelings and emotions. We trust the word of God. Blessed be the name of Jesus. Church, let's stand together. You're still welcome to come and join us here at the front for prayer. We're just praying for people today. Come on, let's lift our hands and begin to thank God for his presence in our lives. Come on, church, all over this place. Open your mouth. Let's bless the Lord. Thank you, Jesus, for your presence. Thank you for your work in our lives. Thank you that you love us. Thank you for what you're doing in all of us today, Lord Jesus. Thank you for your protection. We bless your name today for all that you're doing. We honor you, Jesus. We honor you, Jesus. Blessed be your name. Blessed be your name. If there's anyone in this room this morning who says, you know, I'm not sure about this coming to an altar. I don't know. I just know that I've sensed something and I've felt something. I have it before. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus at all. Would you come down? Pastor Todd, Pastor Josh, Pastor Shade are going to be here to pray with you. 
If that's you, simply just leave where you are and come right now and let us pray for you. Maybe you've never accepted Jesus before. You've never really invited him in. You may have known something about him, but you've never surrendered your heart completely to him. You know what? The Bible says this is the day of salvation. Every day. Today is a great day to get saved. Today is a great day to surrender to Jesus. You've picked a perfect day. So, Father, we come to you this morning and we thank you for the truth of your word. It is a lamp unto our feet, a light unto our path. So many have tried to destroy it. They've tried to stamp it out. They've tried to lessen the message. But we thank you today that your truth, the truth of your word still stands. And, Lord, I thank you that even when the enemy would come in like a flood, you can raise up a standard against him. When those thoughts come in our mind of destruction and depression and suicide and, and all kinds of things about our families, our, our life, our finances, everything about it, those thoughts that are there, we're going to be put under, we're not going to make it. Whatever they are, Lord, the thoughts may be in the head, but today we're asking you to renew our minds. Cleanse our minds in Jesus' name. Let us be renewed in the inner man by the transforming of our minds and accepting the truth of what you've said. And we bless you for that today. And we declare before this company of people and in the heavenlies today and in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ, we are not going to allow those thoughts to go from our head to our feet. We are not going to cross over. We're going to stand strong in you because you're the one who gives us the ability to stand strong. So today, Lord, let your blessing rest upon us. Give us that inner fortitude by a supernatural power and strength that you're able to give us. Give it to those who come today, Lord. Bless them and stop those thoughts, Lord, from going from our head to our feet. And we give you praise for it because you're the one who causes us to triumph always in Christ Jesus. And we bless you for it in Jesus' name. Come on, let's bless the name of the Lord in this house. Blessed be the name of Jesus.